Hello and a warm welcome to the NLN podcast. The NLN is the Nordic Leadership Network. We're a team of seven leaders, coaches, facilitators and speakers. We help develop the leaders of today and tomorrow. We challenge teams to achieve high performance. We help companies to implement strategy and get stuff done so they can flourish and grow. And specifically, welcome to part two of this podcast. I'm David Goddard, and that was the voice of Nick Vertikens you just heard in the introduction. And earlier in the week, we had the great pleasure of chatting with Lucian Hudson, communications expert, and Michael Gates, cross-cultural expert, about crisis communication and the current UK handling of COVID-19. And in this episode, we drill a bit deeper into the Nordic area and explore the learning for leaders across all sectors. Michael, we left you in episode one on a cliffhanger. What's your question for Lucien? And I wonder to what extent you've been following the handling of the crisis in the Nordic countries, if I can put you on the, the spot a little, and give a British perspective on the handling and maybe if you've heard any of the responses of uh, people. Sweden has obviously been in the news globally for its strategy and how people are reacting there in Sweden. But any any thoughts, any observations on that? And then we could move on a little bit more to some of your advice for Nordic leaders in general, as it's the Nordic uh, Leadership Network. It's obviously, I'm not as close to what's going on in the Nordic, Nordic countries as I am to, in the UK. Uh, but I'd say first and uh, first off, I have been following, not surprisingly, developments across the world. And it seems to me that those countries that, who have had experience of dealing with, with diseases that, that can spread and have made sure that they've got systems in place, not just to cope with the extra capacity that's needed of the health service, but also that have engaged the population, have found it insofar as anyone has found it easy, more manageable in terms of the politics and the communications. And I think what's interesting about, and, and we know therefore, short of how China itself handled it and how open and transparent it was and measures it put in place. And of course, all that everyone will want to look at very closely as and when we can look at, back at this with some degree of detachment and therefore objectivity. When we look at other countries in the Far East, we also pick up examples of Vietnam and others who've been able to mobilize very fast on the basis of contingency planning, scenario planning, and engagement of the wider population. So if I draw any, any conclusion at the moment at all, and that includes Nordic countries, is how any one country is set up to handle the unexpected. And in the UK, ever since 2008, we've had at the top of our national risk register a respiratory epidemic, not coronavirus, but something along that, that's similar. And there have been plans and there's been planning. And for one reason or another, that wasn't enough to cope with the unprecedented nature of coronavirus. So what we're judging here, including with the Nordic leaders, and Nordic governments, is the extent to which they've been able to get their, uh, their population on side because of their respective cultures. Uh, and I think it's interesting that each country 
has worked with that culture and used that to get continued support for what governments have tried to do in those countries. And that's quite different from whether or not ultimately the strategy they have followed has been the right one or not. In other words, we will have to wait until we know more about the disease and whether or not we've managed to suppress it, contain it, or indeed eliminate it, before we can reach a verdict as to how well any one country has done. Because whatever happens, we'll need to work with the consequence of this. So we know Sweden's been different, and we know other countries have also handled it differently. And I think what's been quite interesting for me is what have the countries done that's in common and what's been different. And what I'd say from a communications perspective is where countries have been different, what it, to what extent have they worked with trying to get cooperation from their populations, including their media, as opposed to just trying to get a strategy through and enforced. And I think the Nordic countries can take a good deal of pride, right and justifiable pride, that they've managed the stakeholder aspect of this from what I've seen, you know, given the circumstances, reasonably successful. Whereas other countries, it's been a lot more contentious and divided. And it could be that it's in the nature of those cultures to um, and the governments to work with the dominant ethos. You know, I've heard the Finnish speak of Sisu, the strength and persistent resolve. What an important quality that is to have in a crisis. You don't necessarily know all the evidence. You don't have all the science available. You don't know all the different permutations, all the different possibilities. But nonetheless, you persevere with stamina, perseverance, and courage. If that's embedded in the culture, that is a very strong quality that any leader or any culture or society should bring on. Well, I was just saying in, with, with Sweden, you know, with, with Largum, uh, as I understand it, this idea of doing what's enough or sufficient or adequate or just right, again, it depends where you are on the, set, on the spectrum of what would count as, you know, taking the middle path. But if a country and a leadership thinks they're taking a middle path and they got broad support for what they're doing, even if other countries regard that as somewhat odd or distinctive or exceptional, then at least for that time, that will prove successful. So I want to suspend judgment as to whether any of these countries have done the right thing or not. All I can do as a communicator or someone who advises on communications is say that how they've dealt with is what one can reasonably comment on at the moment. And it seems so far that the Nordic countries can claim you know, some success in their response to coronavirus. Thank you, Lucian. Really interesting observations there on the, on the Nordics, and I'm sure people will really um, benefit from listening to those. Um, I think one of the points that you made talking about a crisis and culture is an important one, because a crisis can bring out both the best and the worst in a culture. And, of course, we've seen how under crisis populism can thrive, uh, extreme nationalism, chauvinism. On the other hand, if you think about communication, because in a crisis culture comes to the fore, if leadership can tap into the culture, I think we've seen that the Nordics have been doing, and communicate with people in a way that 
resonates with their culture, then I think that's very comforting and it, and it, works, uh, it works pretty well. Certainly in Finland, uh, the, uh, the idea of social distancing hasn't been so much of a problem for people. I mean, Finns say we've been doing social distancing all our lives. <laughs> Thinking about uh, communication in general, and if I take Finns as an example, Finns see themselves and others have seen them as rather poor communicators. I tend not to believe that. I think they're actually very good because they're very efficient. Uh, they mean what they say and they say only what they mean. You know, I see them as quite efficient. But others have seen them as rather um, reticent, silent, etc. And quite often they say, oh, we're very poor communicators. But I'd like to uh, mention a quotation from Bertrand Russell, who said that to acquire immunity to eloquence is of the utmost importance to the citizens of a democracy. And I think that goes very well with Finns. They, they're not susceptible to be led by eloquence or by charisma because they feel that that could be someone persuading you to do something which is, in, in fact, rational. And uh, I wonder, as a communicator, a professional communicator, what you think about that quotation, because one normally thinks good communication is eloquent, but what about that? To inquire immunity to eloquence is of the utmost importance to the citizens of a democracy. That's very, I think it's very wise. I mean, effective communication is not an exercise in manipulating, deceiving, or glossing over the truth. Uh, what I think everybody values first and foremost is speaking the truth. Now, the truth we know is problematic. Uh, sometimes there are different interpretations of it, and the truth is never doesn't exist on its own. It, it's, it's always in relation to other things, not least emotions, feelings, values. But if you're not getting at the truth, you're not going to be more further advanced in your business or in your life. Uh, it's always a matter of the timing of it, how you introduce it, how people are receptive to confronting it. If it's too raw, uh, it can be counterproductive. If you gloss over it, you can people can miss the point. Um, and therefore, communication in this, in this sense is a medium. It's not the end. Uh, it has intrinsic value. Words can heal and they can hurt. But of themselves, that's not what's important. And if the Finns are communicating in ways other than just using words and therefore fluency, um, that's, that's, that, that's what's all important. I often think that people exaggerate some of the skills we have available to us. And in exaggerating those skills, they actually render them less effective and indeed counterproductive. And by that, I mean, you can communicate too much as well as communicate too little. I certainly think in a crisis, if I'm advising any business leader or any government leader, I think you can't communicate enough. So this is a challenge to all those people who think, ah, oh, well, I shall do what I always do. My character is not to say much. I mean, I do say something, I mean it, or I know what I have to say. I would say, bluntly, wrong. In a crisis, everybody wants to know at least as much as the leader does, even though they might respect that the leader has more information than they can for reasons of confidentiality or because it still has to be worked out. Um, they will appreciate a leader sharing with them what is known about a situation. They will also appreciate a leader 
uh, being able to put whatever information there is in appropriate context. So not exaggerating, not underplaying, telling it as it is. So yes, less is better. If you have nothing more to say, don't say it. But I think what they'll also expect in leaders is to appeal for other people to help with ideas and suggestions so that other people have a stake in not only identifying what the problem is, but even more important, finding a solution. So I would say, let's be a little bit careful about not communicating much or assume that words are, are, are suspect. In a crisis, you've got to say something and early on, you often have to do that quite regularly, you know, whether it's once a day or every two days. You can't allow uh, an information vacuum to build. As Spinoza said, nature abhors a vacuum. And it's certainly been a guiding principle in my communications career that um, society, the public, employees abhor information vacuum. Where there's no information, misinformation, falsehoods, suspicions, paranoias can take over. So it's particularly important to say something rather than nothing, but to be equally clear what you know and what you don't. And I would argue try and base that on the evidence. So sometimes you don't have the evidence, you need to make clear that you're taking a judgment. And that's also important. And that can sometimes be on the basis of one's own expertise and experience. Lucy and Michael, huge thank yous. Lucy, I, I had a question for you. Yes. It's been fascinating to hear your, your thoughts, your insight, your views. You said it towards the start, crisis and I have had a lifelong relationship. So how has that shaped who you are today? I think it's made me very alert to the fact that you can't listen enough. So much of the time you think as a communicator, what's important is what you broadcast, but actually far more important is what you receive. And therefore, whether it's been me as a journalist, as an editor, as an executive producer, as a director of uh, communications in six large complex organizations, I would say the most important thing, first and foremost for me in a crisis, has been my ability to listen to what's happening. And you can pick up all sorts of signals. You can obviously carry out surveys and focus groups, and rightly so, but there's no substitute for using your own intuition as to what you think is going on or could be going on and then testing that. So I think I've been effective in either leading or advising on a crisis because I've been able to pick up the signals before a crisis has really developed. And that's allowed the organizations, if they listen and if they take heed of the feedback, and explore it further, even if it's to dismiss the feedback, but nonetheless they've gone through some process of assessing it, to I think to either avoid a crisis, or if a crisis happens, to be better able to respond to it. I'll give you one example from my career, and this is, you could argue, is fortuitous or predetermined. You can choose where you are on the philosophical and religious spectrum. But one of the biggest things I did in my career was I led the 
production team, the, the journalistic team, the night of the death of Princess Diana. I was called in uh, as the news um, was reported that she'd been involved in a car accident. I came in very quickly. We got on air and we were on air for six, seven hours continuously. And the team I was working with, including the presenter, Nick Gowing, he and I had worked closely together, as had the rest of the team, in managing breaking news, but never that piece of breaking news. Um, and by the time the program came to an end, and we were, it was on air, live events, that Princess Diana had died, I had standing behind me the Director General of the BBC, the Director of News. So it wasn't as if there weren't, an, also I was not under some, obviously, pressure <laughs> to make sure we got this right. Uh, but I, you know, I kept my call, I, I did what I could, and I also, I knew my team were well prepared, and they would take whatever action there was, and we would take the right judgment calls in the emerging situation. But what I would say helped me with all of that was for three years, I was organizing for the BBC, for all its television news programs, 55 rehearsals of royal death procedure. We, we rehearsed for one hour, 55 times with different teams, the death of a royal, which usually the Queen Mother, it was all the other royals too. And because of our ability to kind of work through that and plan the scenario and have it unfold and test how we would respond to it, not only the content, but the tone, who would you get into interview? How we would play our reaction to false information as well as reliable information? We felt better prepared. So I would say, looking back on my career, it's the ability to prepare and plan that has helped me respond better. But every time I've responded, it's been a new context, and you've had to be alert to what that context requires. And as I said earlier, I think anticipating crisis is important, responding to it is clearly vital, but recovering from it is the big end goal. So I ta I've taken the most pride in being able to help leaders and teams recover from a crisis. That was a great question, Nick, and a wonderful answer, Lucian. Actually, it's a fantastic segue, what you just said, from the last guest that we had, which was the head of Finnish Technical Research Centre. And the Vassara, and he ended his um, interview by talking about listening and listening to to the customer, and that mm -hmm. is his mm -hmm. method to get innovation. And he was talking about foresight and planning and taking action before the water is sloshing around our feet. <laughs> when, yes. when when the water level is already rising, it's too late. So what you said about your ability to listen to what's actually happening. I think that, that you, you would do well <laughs> in this country because I think that's one of the strengths of the, the Finnish characteristics, that they're, they're very good listeners, and Finland is the world's leading researcher in, in foresight. Well, mm -hmm. that, that's mm -hmm. whetted my appetite. I've got this list, mm -hmm. David, of 
I'm sure you do, we all do, of what we most want to do after coronavirus. <laughs> uh, well, uh, well, welcome to I, Finland. I, I, yeah, I was going to say, that's very high up on my list now. Yes, yes. Excellent. Lucien, thank you so much. And I know we've talked quite a bit about the current crisis and about politics, but almost all of what you've been saying, I'm sure is going to be of extreme value to Nordic leaders who are also in business, because it doesn't matter what the crisis is or what your field is, we're talking about the human factor and issues like trust, reputation, clear communication, and those are useful lessons uh, for, for anyone, I would say. So thank you so much, Lucien. Uh, thank you to David and Nick for organizing uh, today. And um, we look forward to speaking again soon, hopefully. Thank you all. Well, there we have it. Thank you, Lucien, Michael and David. Thank you all at home for listening. Um, that was really interesting. Really, really great stuff. Um, next up on the pod, we welcome Tim Sagana. He's a mindfulness coach with an incredible story. Um, and he's having quite an impact in the UK right now where, where he's based. So, so tune in for that one. Um, so we look forward to seeing you soon. Uh, in the meantime, thanks again. Take care. Hey, listener. It's Stefano here. Since you got until here, we think that you might like the podcast. It would mean so much if you could leave us a five-star review and share this with as many of your friends as possible. This will help us be discovered and spread the news. Can you just take five minutes and do that for us? Thank you.